And we are live. We're live. Look at that. Look at us. How are you, Happen? I'm fantastic. How are you? On this lovely, lovely Tuesday, the last Tuesday of January. Wow. Already? Yeah, it is January the 30th, 2024, and I cannot believe we are a 12th of the way through 2024 already. It's been eventful. I... You know, I, I've always, I, I, everybody that I've known that has been like older in my family, you know, uncles and aunts and grand aunts, blah, 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 always said, you know, as you get older, time goes faster. And what? I'm like, what, whatever, whatever, you know? Uh-huh. And here we are. Yeah, as a kid with all the time in the world, you don't listen to people and they say that stuff. And, and now, I don't understand now, it. But now there's just no time. The kids get older, you know. People grow up. We stay the. I mean, we stay young. I don't know how we do it. We do it though. The Wonder Years theme, I feel like, is like. <laughs> we were just talking about <laughs> before the podcast. We were talking about Joe Cocker, and uh, yeah, man, that's a great. That is one of my favorite songs of all time. Like, what would you do? Fantastic. Sing out of tune. Would you get up and walk man, out on me? Like that's such a good. I tell you what. That show and that soundtrack, I wish they would do like an 80s, 90s version of that song. Oh, so or that, uh, that show. So good. So good. Yeah, we were talking about some Joe Cocker and Belushi and some performances on Saturday Night Live. We were in you know, a good little conversation. <clears throat> about so three minutes. What I had told Seven, I'll tell you guys out there that are listening or watching, if you haven't seen the Saturday Night Live skit, which one was it again? Which Belushi? I, I think it was John. The one that passed away, unfortunately, of the drug overdose. He had a spot-on uh, parody. Uh, obviously, it's going to be a parody of, of Joe Cocker. <laughs> well, but and, Joe uh, Cocker is a parody of Joe Cocker. <laughs> it, in fact, yes, that is true. And it was so good that at one point they had, I don't know if it was another episode or later on in that episode, Joe Cocker was a musical guest on Saturday Night Live, and they sang opposite of each other on the same stage. And it was, yeah, I need to check yeah. that out. I Very really need to see that. Like, I, I need to check that out for sure. He he was. You want to talk about an energetic? Oh, Joe Cocker. Actor, and and made well, so much money singing other people's songs. Oh man, the the voice though he I had just, the right twang to it, and it was just he was anyway. he was a once in a generation you know guy. I'm telling you, just great stuff. Yeah. So Joe Cocker. That's not on my what what am I you know what am I listening to? That's not Joe Cocker, but. Um, yeah, 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 but Joe Cocker ain't bad. <laughs> not hating on it. Yeah. So you're doing good, man. You had a good Tuesday. I, I, I trust. Hey, man, it's quiet life for me. You know. Yeah. yeah. So. All right. It's just uh, I, I wake up in the morning. I do the cardio thing, and and the weather has been weirdly spring-like mm, here. It has been here too. Very yeah. weirdly spring-like. Yeah. Um, so I'm I'm trying to figure out if I need to to go out and start getting the grass ready or if this is just like a joke that <laughs> mother nature's playing on me well the days are also getting longer right we passed the winter equinox so things are getting a little bit longer yeah. and yeah um yeah i mean it's it's tempting when you live as far south as as we do the yeah. the weather gets like this and it's like oh my gosh is it spring and then all of a sudden you'll get a cold snap that just wrecks everything oh yeah so which definitely happens here in Texas. It's yeah. not abnormal for us to late January, second week of February, have an ice storm or something oh, yeah. crazy happens. Yeah, so. our biggest blizzards here in, in Alabama have been in March. 
and they were blizzards, right? I, I, there was one. March. Yeah, March. It goes wow. as far as March, and you just get this weird cold snap and snow, right? Four feet of snow in March. I would have never guessed that out, out your way. I figured it would be warmer around that Gulf Coast It usually coast is, area. but and that's, that's probably been, I mean, that's been 20 years ago or more, but <clears throat> that one in oh, particular, okay. I mean, it doesn't snow here at all anymore. Um, you can still right, get snow yeah. within the state. You need to get about an hour north of Birmingham, so before you get to Huntsville and that that kind of north side of the state um you get some uh you get some some snow there but we have gotten no snow in quite a while but we do get this these cold snaps and then we get these days of just like 70 degree weather yeah and it really makes you want spring to go ahead and roll in and then spring will yeah, roll yeah, in and it's yeah. like oh my god it's spring and then it's a thousand degrees right like the next day <laughs> it's like oh yay it's spring I- you're melting <laughs> That's what I always try to tell everybody's like, you know, they they say, well, how's the weather in central Texas? It's fantastic uh-huh. in the spring and the fall. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> you don't want to be here in the, in the summer no. or even really in the winter. No, and we know? have this weird habit of we have some of the some really fantastic music festivals have been in here in Birmingham and they always hold them in August. And the um, oh, the reason God. they do that is to avoid having a weekend with college football once you get into fall, uh-huh. you actually get really strong storms, right? We get there's a lot of reasons they don't want to do it. Sure, and so they try to sure. host them in August, and they're they can book these oh, amazing God. artists because we're in the middle of the southeast. But dude, people who are not from here in August outside at a music festival, yeah. there is not yeah. enough water to keep these people from passing out. <laughs> like the World Games were here, it's, and it's these, probably muggy, right? Like insanely oh, it's, muggy. It's, it's insane. Like the it's the heat, but yeah. it's the humidity. There was a we yeah. did, had the World Games here in. Uh, I remember watching this this Dutch, I think it was a a swimming team of some sort, was was like giving an interview and the reporter was like, So what do you think about the weather? And the guy was like, <laughs> It's hot. <laughs> like these are <laughs> these are Olympic level athletes. And the guy's like, I cannot breathe. It's hot. And he wasn't performing. He was I never knew someone would be thick. <laughs> <laughs> I never knew air could be thick. Oh, yeah. Like I it's never like, knew it. Could I'm drinking thick. the air. Oh my god. Yeah, it gets pretty. Yeah, crazy. I couldn't imagine. I that's one thing that I definitely I I never thought I would get used to, but when I lived in Southeast Texas, I I got used to the 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 just thick air, yep. and it actually got to the point where because even in the fall it would be muggy, but that would make the colder temperatures kind of comfy out so yeah no it's i mean you do get used to it you know know, people adapt um from what i've i've read and i don't know how accurate this is but i read it so it must be true it was on the internet um was that (laughs) you know people are actually more adaptable to the warmer weather than they are the colder weather so just naturally yeah um now we've obviously you know figured out how to live in minneapolis because we're insane but there's our natural you know makeup is really for warmer weather and warmer climates now i i do i do think we're going to get to the point, if we're not already there, where the summers are just getting too hot. Like, it, it, yeah, it gets hot yeah. during the summers. So, so yeah. Well, so, I mean, here, you know, mid-July, mid late May, June, July, August, September, I mean, we're 120. Wow. Like, 120 is very normal here. So, the 116 like, is the hottest I've ever been, and it was south of Las Vegas. I was in the desert, and I was standing on a rock. It was 116 degrees outside. And two things happened. One was I realized I had never heard silence before. So standing in the middle of the desert on a rock, you realize there's nothing making sound. And I'd actually never been 
in silence. There's always something around us making noise. The other thing was yeah. everyone who ever said it's a dry heat is full of it. 116 <laughs> is hot. <laughs> Oh, it's That's a dry the excuse heat. that no, people no, you are insane. People give just to make it cooking. seem like it's okay. It's cooking, yeah, yeah. Right? It's so hot. The vultures are like, they yeah. see me with like the big bottle of water. Like they're that, waiting. Oh yeah, they're yeah. like that fool brought one bottle of water. Nah, he ain't making it home. Yeah, yeah. You ever had fried human before? <laughs> <laughs> Let him sit for a little while. It'll be good come yeah. come sundown. <laughs> It'll be cooked just right. That sounds gross. Yeah, yeah. So, Hapa, it is uh, January the 30th, 2024. This is episode 13 of Real Talk with Hapa and Seven. This is uh, named, this particular episode is named Manhattan. So, tell us about the Manhattan, Hapa. So, it's, you know, it's funny. The Manhattan is one of the few whiskey drinks I've never had. I, and um, I don't know what to think about that. I, I'm not going to lie. Yeah, I... Even as a bartender, I never, I've never had one before. Okay. I've made a, a million of them, um, but I've never had one. And I've also been told that the bourbon Manhattan is actually superior to the rye whiskey Manhattan. Oh, now, either of that really? is true or not, I don't. Again, I don't know either. All right, but. Um, a Manhattan is a couple ounces of rye whiskey or Canadian whiskey, I guess. Uh, three quarters sweet red vermouth, a dash of bitters, and then a maraschino cherry. Um, it sounds delicious. I do like uh, uh, vermouth with whiskey, actually. Yeah, it's sometimes worth I'll just do some whiskey with a little bit. So, and you got to say vermouth. <clears throat> yeah, it's a it's a it's a word like bivouac. I get yes. to anytime I can it's use those great words. Word. In a bivouac vermouth. <laughs> Where is Deacon? He's gonna show up out of nowhere. <laughs> Start swinging elbows. <laughs> so tonight we uh That's not a word. <laughs> it's not a real word. Vermouth's not a real word. No, there's no such thing as real words anymore. Uh, so tonight we've got a pretty good podcast planned. Um, we're three weeks yeah. out from our previous podcast. I think some of the subjects we may have wanted to cover, we've actually had to revisit because they, you know, they kind of came and went uh, in the time frame. We've got some good ones. Um, I think a lot of these. We're added by you, so I appreciate you doing a little bit of the extra work, going the, the extra mile. Of course. Uh, we're going to be talking about um, a private company's moon lander, not quite getting back home. Um, we're going to talk about the United States Military Space Force and what they're up to. We're going to be talking about a, a lost city that's been discovered, which is pretty freaking cool, if you ask me. Um, the largest deep-sea coral reef has is, is now been discovered and being mapped um, in the Atlantic off the U.S. coast. Uh, I want to talk about Nick Dunlap's victory, right? Because I'm a golf guy, and I want to talk about uh, an amateur yeah. golfer. What happens when an amateur golfer wins a PGA, a PGA tournament event? Um, and then, of course, we'll do the things we do, which, you know, we'll find out what you're watching, what I'm listening to. We'll find out what both of us are playing. And then we'll end up, as we do, with, with Hapa's rules. So does it feel good? Like a good place yeah, to start, of course. All right, I think we're I think we're in a great place right you get now. Got a couple got, hours, got a little whiskey in a glass. Yeah, and... Got a little couple hours in you, a good conversation. Yeah, I got about five minutes in that, <laughs> right? but we can stretch it. <laughs> we <laughs> we might be able to stretch it. Five minutes of good conversation stretched over two hours. This is this is us overachieving. <laughs> wow, <laughs> wow, it's going to be a very. <laughs> So, so let's no we we won't be doing that <laughs> calm down <laughs> i'm in so let's talk about um 
something that is actually following up on on something we covered. I think it was the last podcast or the one before, so that would be episodes yep. 12 or 11. Yeah. Um, we talked about a couple of companies that NASA had doled down a little bit of money to to get some lunar landers out of. And I, if I recall correctly, we were pretty... We were pretty excited about the the kind of concept of NASA saying, "Hey, we can throw a little bit of money at these companies, and we can get we can get lunar landers out of it." Um, and so, one yeah. of those companies, Astrobotic Technology, actually took a shot right in the past couple of weeks. So, tell you're the one that, that threw this one out there. What? Tell me what's going on yeah. with Astrobotic Astrobotic Technologies Lunar Lander. So Astrobotic Technologies was one of the private companies we like we like Seven had just said that won a contract to essentially build or see if it was viable to get a private company to build a lunar lander along with the launch mechanism and all of that. Uh, shortly after they launched, they recognized they had a fuel leak, which would have you know kept them from reaching the moon. So they quickly canceled the mission and ordered the return to the aircraft but unfortunately during the return the they lost communication with it and the entire lander broke up in re-entry mm. um so unfortunately one of the two companies that we we mentioned in the last podcast that that received the contract obviously this one was not was not a, a success but um, I also don't think it's necessarily a bad thing, like because the space race in general was never perfect, and nobody has ever had a nobody has a perfect record of launch vehicles not having mishaps or what have you. So sure, you know it is what it is. I'm still. It was, I think it was like eighty million dollars or something like that that they it cost. I, I missed the cost. How much in the it was? Article actually. Yeah, yeah it was seventy-five or eighty million. People want to know. They can go back to our. We talked in depth about the cost in the last podcast. Yeah. So check that out. Um, so all those folks in Jamaica who love to check us out, they can go listen to that one. And right. Get back up to yep. speed. Still waiting. Still waiting for that invite, guys. Ugh, <laughs> um, so, yeah, this one was pretty interesting to me because it was the first, <clears throat> if I'm not mistaken, the first United States launched Lunar Lander in like a half century or something like that. Um, yep. The other company is, if, if I recall from the previous podcast, will be launching here in a couple of weeks. Um, so they're going to take their shot as well, and and maybe maybe we'll get one lander out of it. You know, I I uh, I hate that these these folks who have been working on this at Astrobotic. That is a that's a tough one, right? To 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 lose. Yeah, yeah. Obviously, and so I hate that for them. But like you said, when you're talking about things as complex as moving into space. And, and doing things in those very extreme environments, it's you're you're gonna have learning events, you know. And yeah, um, this was one of them. And I hope that they, you know, hope that they don't aren't dissuaded from attempting future stuff. They got close, like that's that's pretty close, right? Um, yeah, yeah. Having a fuel leak, yeah, it happens. <laughs> it happens to NASA. NASA's had those, right? Like it's just a thing that happens. And yeah, we're so close, man. So close. Some private company putting something on the One thing I'm kind of curious about, when when you have a private company like this and they, they build a, a lunar lander and, or, you know, and have rovers and the launch vehicle and all that together, I'm kind of curious if, if NASA has anything to do with, like, inspections on the craft prior mm -hmm. to launch or if it's purely the company. That's a good question. You know what I mean? Because... I would think that there was so many lessons learned from NASA that it would probably behoove them to 
to have inspectors or some kind of consultants QA. or something like involved yeah, in the process. Some, and I didn't say anything. I, you know, the articles are very brief, unfortunately, and so you have, you have to dig a little bit to find information. But I'm kind of curious to see how that is, and I certainly hope that the government doesn't just well, this is your one and done, bud. Like. <laughs> Well, well. you know, and there was, we talked about this on the last podcast. Some of the things, there were obviously experiments on here, right, on this this lander that that were lost. Yeah. Um, But there were also ashes and DNA from, like, 70 people or something, including uh, Gene Roddenberry, right, the the creator of Star Trek. Like, his, he was, they were hoping to get his his ashes on the moon. Right? So, like. That's going to be a kind of cool thing if companies start figuring out how to do some of this stuff because those are the things that um, <laughs> we're never going to get from NASA, right? That That's not yeah. going to be – they're not going to make it a publicly available, oh, you can pay to have your, your ashes on the moon. And this is, That's not the kind of stuff that NASA's – well, I say never, but I, NASA is unlikely right. to be participating in. So if we're ever going to have space hotels, right, like uh, that's going to be a private – industry kind of thing totally and to your point about nasa (laughs) and we've talked about this before on the podcast i don't trust just anyone to put me in right a machine or a space hotel or whatever however i do trust nasa yeah and i would be very unlikely to go to a space hotel if it didn't say hey nasa said this is good (laughs) <laughs> this is it. This has been inspected by yeah. an astro- NASA astronaut number little, 14. It's got the little sticker on the outside. It's QC yeah. number 14, you know, Hapa fodder <laughs> inspected by right? approved by Hapa fodder QC number 14. I, I am interested to, to how that is because I'm sure that's going to be an industry in the next hundred years. Right. I'm sure. Surely it's going to be like a, some kind of space tourism thing, which we also talked about with the last episode, how Amazon originally their goal was to exploit space tourism, essentially. And then they kind of shifted to what SpaceX is doing more. Right. So I'm sure that's going to be an industry that's going to be a thing in the oh, future, yeah. like yeah. hotels or something. Right. As soon as we figure out how to colonize somewhere else, you know, right. And, the moon is probably not that far off. There's a reason all these countries are trying to get to the moon right now. We're not the only ones, right? right? Um, you know, Japan, Russia, both, they both landed on the moon. It just yeah. never slowed down before yeah. it got there, right? And they're... <laughs> Which is a, a slight flaw in your, yeah. in your telemetry. But it did land, right? They, they, they hit land. the moon. Yeah. You know, they hit the moon with something. What did you call a rapid disassembly? <laughs> a rapid unplanned <laughs> a rapid disassembly. Unplanned. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So they, you know, but there's a lot of folks out there trying to get to the moon, and there's a reason for that. Um, one yeah. of the things we talked about, the moon's important because gravity's not the same there they think there might be water there if you have water you can make fuel if you can make fuel and you have less gravity you can use it as a launching point to get many other places and around the time that we figure that out there's almost going to be there will be a need to go back and forth to the moon often at that point and to do that we will have figured out as a species a routine mode of space travel we won't be perfect yeah but like as an example if we had a moon base 
right? Even if it was international or whatever, every so often we're going to have to have a trip to the moon and back that lands effectively and then comes home. Like that's a thing we're going to have to do. Right. Yeah. Um, and so we, you know, like to your point about this, they're learning. What they learn, I, everything they learn will be part of us figuring out as a species how to make a taxi service. You know, how do we get Uber on the moon? Well, this, this is how. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel like we are behind, too. I, I feel like we are legitimately, like, between between the late 80s and now, I feel like we just, there was nothing. Like, the, space just wasn't an interest to this little marble. I, I'm going to be honest, around, man. Right? It, it doesn't seem to be... It, it doesn't seem to be like it used to be. Now, you and I are nerds about it, right? So we're... Yeah, oh, yeah. We're going to be, you know, people who keep up with it more than most people. But for the most part, I you know, I was, I was actually... You know, I, I mentioned Minneapolis earlier. I was actually standing in Minneapolis with some people once. And this has been maybe two years ago. And I have an app on my phone which tells me when there is a significant celestial body or event occurring, right? Something going over. And I think I've told you this story, but the yeah, international yeah. space station was going to go overhead <laughs> and I get the notification and it's on my watch. Right. And I look down, I'm like, Oh sweet. The ISS. And every time that occurs, I watch it, right? I'm going to watch it every single time. You know, if, if I'm at home, I grab the kids and the wife and we go outside and we're like, Oh, look at the space station. And I said, Oh neat. The space station's about to go overhead. And the people I was with were like, what? No, it's not. I was like, yeah, it's 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 going to be coming right over here. So I can pull out my phone. It'll show me the path. And I'm like, all right, you're going to need to look about right here. And they're like, what? Well, and it starts going over. And they're like, that's an airplane. And I was like, no, that's, that's <laughs> the International Space Station. And what amazed me was what got said next. Right? I'm actually okay with all of that conversation in some, in some form until that point. But what got said right. next was, no, man, you can't see the space station. And I'm like, that is a known thing. That is the largest structure humans have created. Yep, in space, yeah. And it's going like this, and it's reflecting the sun. And you're looking at it. And you can see it, and it's right there. And it does move fast, but it is 100% yeah, the yeah. International Space Station, and you can see it with the naked eye in the middle of a city, right? It is that bright going across the sky. And it's like, man, these, these folks, they don't care a lick about space, not even to know that you could see the space station, which is one of the most significant achievements in all of human history. And you've never like, you've never gone outside and just like been in awe of the spectacle. Like that's a, that's, that's crazy I to me. I think humans are as aloof to things in space or in our or orbit, the same level that ants are <laughs> when you're just standing over their mound. Right? Like, the exact same, like the man, the ants don't even know you're up there. They're not even paying attention. They're worried about whatever they're doing right here, right? Oh, yeah. Like <laughs> they got to move that. Whatever. I think it's the same level of aloof. Like just, you just know. take it for granted completely. I, I, mm -hmm. one of the things, and you and I have talked about this. One of the things I hope to do with my family before too long is, um, we still have some pretty good areas not too far from us. You know, within an hour of us, that have very, very, very low light pollution, and I want to get a good night, a good clear night and just go and spend i'm talking about six hours be out there when yeah. the sun goes down and just watch because yeah you're actually losing people used to sit in marble at the stars right there's so many poems or stories or whatever that you could go read yeah yeah and people used to just marvel at space and nowadays it's like eh. ah, it's crazy so what yeah, do we gotta I mean, do I... it's to get get people interested happen 
well, I, I don't think it's going to happen because the amount of light pollution on this planet is just... I mean, you've got to literally get hundreds of miles away from anything to really get the level of fidelity in the sky that yeah. would really cause that awe, you know? Like, I would love to go back out and, and, and get into... Because I used to be really big into photography, and I would love to have you know the tripod and set my camera up over mm. the time lapse how that you see a lot of those photos with the where it looks like the stars are moving but it's technically us right moving through the solar system yep like those shots i would love that so <clears throat> i think that but stuff yeah. is so cool. anyway so from you know talking about space we'll segue right into what's going on with the united states um the u.s military space force right and and yep. this has something to do with the x-37b which yep. I think people may not even realize exists. But the X-37B, for anyone who doesn't know what that is, is the most recent rendition of a space shuttle. It's a reusable yep. space plane. But it's been in service for like 10 years. It's just not yeah. used by NASA for manned flight, right? It's used to deliver things to space. Yes. Um, and they've gotten very good at using it. And so Space Force is using the X-37B for what? For something? So... To, if I'm being honest with you, there's not a whole lot of information on this topic. So, I like I wanted to talk about this because this is something I've you've I've seen subtly acknowledged in the news or publicly, just every now and then, and they don't really talk about it much, you know. Um, but that yeah, the X-37B is Space Force's delivery and test platform it's an unmanned aircraft it's only about 20 29 feet long so significantly smaller than the space shuttle but it works on a lot of the same principles how it glides in and everything um but the idea behind it is this could be used to either deliver uh things to the international space station or they could do their own experiments on board without people being involved so they do it remotely um from down here on the planet um and why would you want to do that hapa well there has been a lot of speculation and this is going to be a lot of i'm sorry tinfoil hat <laughs> kind of talk here i probably should have made one for the podcast oh, but that would be fun. uh <laughs> but there's been talk that supposedly space force is doing a lot of experimenting having to do with anti-gravity having to do with nuclear and other power sources and these are things that if they go wrong we want that stuff away from the planet <laughs> so like, you, you, like you don't want that in tampa yeah you don't necessarily want that in dallas or yeah. in what you know wherever wherever people might end up you know it's like the hydrogen collider so, you know supposedly if they put enough energy in it we'll create our own black hole on oh, the planet yeah. which i feel is not a great thing to have occur but you know whatever i'm i'm not that smart so maybe i don't know what i'm talking about yeah we look out into space and we see all the black holes and we're like hey i wonder what happened there and if we could see back in time it's someone with a collider <laughs> generating black holes all over the yeah, right. Well, that used to be a planet yeah. that, like, somebody accidentally right. created a black hole every, for, for science. Every species <laughs> in the history of the galaxy has gotten to collider, <laughs> like, it's it's collider level. And that's where every black hole has yeah. come from. We've we've all evolved. It's like, let's spin that thing really fast. And it's like, <laughs> black hole. <laughs> and then you just start over again. <laughs> that's the, that, like, how crazy would it be if that was the truth? Anyway. Oh but, oh. yeah, so the X-37... One of the things that, like I said, they, that, you know, the tinfoil hat community is speculating is that 
they are testing new technologies that they want away from prying eyes. They don't want people necessarily <laughs> involved with. If you watch uh, some of the uh, shows that are kind of more, you know, sci-fi maybe, um, they talk about, you know, like I said, anti-grav, possibly some power sources that are beyond nuclear that aren't necessarily or weren't necessarily terrestrial so we're, it's like back back-end engineering that uh -huh. they're trying to get working um and i actually recently just recently saw on uncle joe's podcast um he he had somebody you know there that was actually talking about a lot of this technology that that we are supposedly you know back engineering or whatever the case may be but but either way what it what i find interesting is you know space force was created you know not too long ago um and the amount of funding and jump to the x-37 like that to me in that short time frame has been pretty intense if you really think about it um people or, or people governments don't just create a force military force right out of the blue like this is not something that just happens um fairly often but to be able to do this is kind of interesting to me and the level of secrecy behind it where they don't talk about at all what is being tested or what is being carried on they just say scientific equipment and that's it you know which weather balloons to the average yeah yeah right yeah kevlar kevlar balloons yes yeah, balloons. <clears throat> don't worry about it and for me it's like well if you if it's not super secret squirrel stuff then why wouldn't you just use spacex right like super secret squirrel like, stuff well the the i mean this it's interesting because there's there are um two of the x-37b's right <laughs> and in there they spend a lot of time in orbit so this thing is going to be in orbit for uh, yeah what they said is they expect a couple of years right so yeah. it's up there it's going to be orbiting for a couple of years with whatever they've got going on and one of the interesting kind of i was talking to someone saturday um who's an engineer and we were talking about the advances in the past 10 to 15 years because of lithium-ion batteries and so the things that yep. you can do with unmanned craft now are so much different than what we could do the communications protocols have advanced so far the hardware yeah, has yeah. gotten to where you can make it small <laughs> you and i were talking about this uh you know making smaller and smaller spacecraft right because yeah. if it doesn't have to be manned you can make it smaller. If you can make it smaller, it's much easier to launch, right? It's much easier to do things with. And if this is all us evolving as a species, you know, and, and one of the things that kind of got said in chat is, you know, humans aren't, if you believe humans are the only life form, you're mathematically, you're talking about an impossibility, right? Mathematically. Oh, yeah. That can't be true. And so we have to get better and better and better at exploring our galaxy because god knows we're going to kill each other on this planet at some point like we're, we're just yeah absolutely determined to <clears throat> to find more ways to hurt each other and so like we're gonna have to figure out how to do something on other planets and these kinds of things i think i love the nasa approach which is kind of open source you know like you don't get to contribute but you know kind of everything that's going on and now we've got a, yeah we've got governments being like no we're gonna do some secret stuff and i'm like i don't know that i want I don't need a lot of secrets in space. Y'all got enough secrets on this planet, and it the secrets y'all got ain't doing us a lot of good. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, for real. Like y'all, I mean, y'all ain't playing we, nice with your secrets. We, 
We talked about this last episode because you had asked the question, what do I think about privatizing space, you know, uh, flight? And I had mentioned I don't like it because companies can push a lot more of their own, like, ideas and things on the citizens. But the flip side of that is government-run space, you know, uh, industries is not great either because of you know we're gonna have lasers freaking lasers in space and satellites and, with you know, freaking lasers yeah yeah exactly like that to me is like pretty scary too and yeah. and you know you know we talked about it. the engineers know, and the scientists crazy you know nasa is nasa because the engineer and scientists make nasa nasa what i mm -hmm. mean by that is <clears throat> obviously the united states military wants nasa to do united states military things and yeah. absolutely goodness. nasa has done things in the past to help the united states military and i have no doubt about that yeah but for the most part nasa has remained a scientific betterment of the world endeavor and this that's because of the scientists and the engineers believe in a higher purpose than nationalism and yes. when they can connect with scientists and engineers from other countries who also believe in a higher purpose than nationalism, the things they can achieve are the International Space Station, right? The things they yeah, can achieve yeah. are pretty amazing. So we as a species, when we sit down and say, let's do something that's buildy instead of bomby, we, yeah. we're pretty good at it. And yeah, yeah, yeah. so, yeah, I, I really hope that whatever they're, whatever they're doing the X-37B, I really, really hope it's productive, <laughs> not destructive. I mean, it's 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 truly been proven time and time again. If you let scientists talk to other scientists without any political views involved, the gains far outweigh any cost. Typically, yeah, you know, it's when you start getting government in injection that that nefarious stuff tends to come out of it, right? Like, so. I, yeah, I agree with you too. Hopefully, hopefully, uh, we're not we're not going to nuke Kerplax out in E four E. Oh, Kerplax! A million you know, miles Kerplax's away. Kerplax got whatever, a mouth you know. though. <laughs> a mouth. Yeah, got a mouth. Runs that mouth too much. Kerplax. Yeah. So, um, talking about you know humans evolving, there was a oh, man. story. Good segue. January the eleventh. <laughs> Look at that. I sir. Amateur professionals. What was it like? Hell yeah! What was that commercial Liberty Bibbity? <laughs> the guy's like Liberty Bibbity. Bibbity. <laughs> he doesn't even have a mustache. <laughs> I serves Am's the professionals. Um, so archaeologists <laughs> have uncovered a, a cluster of lost cities uh, in Ecuador in the Amazon rainforest in Ecuador, and they believe it was home to at least ten thousand farmers around two thousand years ago. So yep. Ro Roman Empire time frame, right? Which is what we're talking about. Yep. So. You're the one that put, again, this is yours. So what, <laughs> tell me, Hapa, about this long lost city that they've discovered. So I've been following this subject fairly closely for years since I initially discovered that they are starting, there, there is a very, very, very small hand, handful of archaeologists that are attempting to map the South American rainforest with LIDAR. Um, and the reason they're doing this is 
if you go all the way back in archaeology, right, Christopher, or the conquistadors, I guess, technically is who, I, I don't know if it was Christopher Columbus initially, but the conquistadors arrived in South America, and when they went back to Spain, they reported that there was ginormous, thriving, metropolis-level size cities just packed with people and it was like super bustling with you know boats up and down the canals and everything and then a few hundred years later when they came back those civilizations had vanished like just completely vanished and and so unfortunately like archaeologists over the years have kind of ignored this subject as just the initial reports were just people talking you know to talk right that's where you get you know the lost cities of gold and all this stuff sure. back myths and what have you but then you've got these archaeologists that have been slowly chomping through the rainforest and they find little things here and there and then lidar came out as a technology if you don't know what lidar is it's literally laser mapping so you know an aircraft a small aircraft like a cessna will fly over the rainforest and it literally has a laser that just goes back and forth and it maps i think something like two or three football fields um, wide as it flies. And he, they just have to do a zigzag formation across these search patterns. And it, what it does is this lighter actually could cut through the forest and they could filter out the forest and see the landscape. So where the, what they found with this part is in Ecuador at the foothills of the Andes, a uh, what looks to be a farming I'll call it a city because it's really not a village. Yeah, um, yeah. The conservative estimates are 10,000 farmers, and it could have as many as 30,000 people at the height of this this city town uh, growth, which is comparable, by the way, to the size of London during the Roman era, which with which London was the largest city in Great Britain during the Roman times. Yeah, we so tend to, we tend to you're think talking of about in context of now with millions right, and millions yeah. of people and that is not what the world looked like at right know, year zero <laughs> yeah yeah and and so you know you're, you're talking about a huge grouping of complex roadways some spanning uh, as much as 10 meters apart like some of the roads so they had lanes with buildings in between them they had canals they had you know uh, a pretty elaborate layout and if you look at the images on the article i need to remember to keep putting the articles in the write-up um of our podcast here on youtube so that people can go look at them if they want to but um it's pretty amazing like just the image the lighter image itself you can see the outlines of the oh, yeah. roads and the oh, buildings yeah. and all that stuff through the yeah. forest so there was a i was um, on a flight and, once with a with a doctor from university of alabama birmingham which is here in this town and her name is Dr. Sarah Parkak, and she calls herself a space archaeologist. And so what you were talking about with the LIDAR, right, that's what she does is works with satellite imagery <clears throat> to find civilizations and to do stuff. She primarily focuses, that's I think, so in, like, awesome. Egypt. But that was my first introduction yeah. into kind of this world. And the LIDAR that you're talking about was, looks, <clears throat> at least the images, look like it was flown from, like, an airplane. And when you look at it, yeah, yeah. the detail that they're getting... It, it's really mm -hmm. obvious, right, when you go look at it. Like, it's obviously structures. Yeah, these are not natural at all. Well, and they're they're complex and organized, right? It's not tribal. Yeah. It's not small tribes living off, you know, with family units. No, this is a an yep. organization of many people with many organized structures. It's pretty 
pretty fantastic, yeah. honestly. And and to be to be honest with you, some of the outlines of the structures are like what you might think would be um, like apartment complexes, like multi-resident buildings and and huge long roads going all the way along ridges of hills and you know, like I said, canals and things like that. So it, it, this thing to me, it's really cool that. As stuff like this gets released, more funding is going towards this oh, group sure. down in South America that's doing it. Um, sure. Because I don't, rem I don't remember what it. It's something like an area the size of all of Europe is the rainforest that, that, in South America, which, which is what they're trying. Like their eventual goal yes. is like look at that whole area and it's like for the size yes. of Europe. Okay. Yeah, yeah, and 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 they're literally just like looking at, at golf course size areas, you know, right. with, their, with their LIDAR, really. Right. So. <laughs> I mean, it is it is the proverbial needle in the haystack. But what's interesting is like the, so this article is from January the 11th this year. But what's interesting is when these discoveries occur, it's way easier for these groups to get funding. Because a lot of people, this is when you're talking, you know, again, I was on a flight with a space archaeologist and I was talking to her about this stuff. She has to seek funding. And that's what she was doing. In fact, yeah. she was coming back from, um, a speech where she was seeking funding for this research. Research is hard to get funded. And so these stories, when they come out, oh, we found something, right? That, that's what generates excitement. That's what generates funding. Yeah, yeah. And, and hopefully we find something new. I I mean, this one was, let's see, what, what I wrote it down. It was from five, they believe the civilization here, the city, right, was from 500 BC and went to between three and 600 AD. So this thing lasted yep. looking like a thousand years or so, right? A Almost thousand a thousand years, yeah. Years. To, I mean, put that in context. The United States has been around how long? Not a thousand years, yeah. right? Like yeah. 200 yeah. and whatever years, right? We have not been around. That's right, isn't it? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Like, we have not been around that long. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And so... Well, and that's why I said, like, the, I can't remember what, what book it was that I read, but it was like, you know, one of the one of the things that really drives these archaeologists in South America crazy is how many stories these conquistadors had about, you know, sailing up these rivers and these canals, and they were just lined with people, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people, like... Everywhere. It was just like a metropolis, like, you know, and, and they had mentioned that, like, they had very um, advanced farming techniques and, and, you know, a lot of ferry systems, et cetera, et cetera. And then just only a couple hundred years later, yeah. they came back and there's they couldn't find anybody. Like, they were all gone. And the forest had completely taken over that entire area. And so it's like, to me, it... You know, more than likely what they think is the, unfortunately, the Europeans, those dirty Europeans, oh, yeah. oh, brought, yeah. brought disease. They brought disease, you know, because right. Wiped out an entire... And it just wiped them wiped the entire civilization out because I, I one of the things I read is that I think they estimated that the all of the cities in South America, there could have been like three million people. Like three million people that... In, in South America, that's more than the population of Europe during the same time frame. Like, and, and, and that to me is, and then all of a sudden they were just like 95 or whatever percent gone in a couple hundred years. Like, that's just crazy. Oh, it's, 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 you know? it's insane. You know, there was, I mean, North America was the same way, right? You had um, <clears throat> the, yeah, uh, oh, the yeah. Native American tribes in North America settled the East Coast. And 
Yeah. A lot yeah. of the reason, you know, we talk about pilgrims, right? Quote, unquote, the people who came here and settled kind of the, the early America story, like all the kids here learn in school. The re- only reason they were able to survive is they they found an area that had already been cleared. That was they because they made a stop. Yeah. That's why Plymouth Rock became Plymouth Rock, right? That's where they were able to settle. They right. were not able to settle the other places they stopped. Plymouth Rock was not the first place. And there was a society there, a functioning society that probably had a lot of yeah. complexities and disease had wiped them out, right? And um, there's these entire societies that we've lost to the ages. And it really amazes me that we've got to the point where we, we use space, right? Or we use aircraft to turn it back at planet earth and be like well what was here right because we forget sometimes that we don't know what's going on here yeah sure we want (laughs) to go to different planets and mars is great but we don't know what's going on here yet and there's a lot to be discovered and probably humans have there's way more dead people on this earth than are there are alive and we've probably forgot the the human species we have probably forgotten more than we know and oh easy easily right. and yeah. finding these things oh my god it's so fascinating to me i love it every time there's like this archaeological discovery and i'm like oh my god what what could the what could life have been like there and then and obviously people were doing city things right um so yeah i, I love this this was one of my favorites to read i absolutely loved love I, I, to me i ex- finds like this I don't think finds like this get enough attention in the planet because I feel like as a human race, they should be a humbling experience. Like we should be humbled to the fact that we we think we're at the pinnacle of our existence right now. We may not actually sure. be there, right? Like, sure, you got your, you know, your your iPhone and your iPad and your, you know, gigabyte fiber, but, you know, that might have been nothing compared to maybe they you know going down the canal and in grabbing some old growth corn or something you maybe know, in maybe this your neighbor town in ecuador had a collider right that uh they invented a collider and it's they black hold themselves it's just the they black, the black hold themselves, themselves and we're just like in a reset mode <laughs> here on earth right like the the simulation someone's like seriously guys Rerun the simulation, like reboot. <laughs> when are they ever going to learn? There's somebody that's, you know, a bit observing us. They're like, are they ever going to learn? No, they probably won't learn. Hey, Bobby, they're making another collider. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, no, no. Ah, that's old news. <laughs> to throw the whole thing out again. <laughs> uh, but it's like, to me, it's like, I'm really excited to see like more and more. Like, because it does seem like every year they they find more and more of these cities that are just covered up by the forest oh, yeah. and with the crazy thing too i don't know if you caught in the article or not but they talk about too a lot of these cities that they find like when they look at the lidar and everything just getting to those cities it's almost impossible because the amount of, in, of density that the forest has trying to hack their way to those locations mm. is almost impossible. Gotcha. Um, because it's also very, very uh, hostile environment as well with all the bugs and the, you Oh, know, yeah. Yeah. I watch uh, Naked and Afraid. Uh, uh, I know what's Things up. that want to kill you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> so, yeah. <clears throat> yeah, it, it's, to me, I love these things. I think everyone should take some time in their week. Um, Happen, I do a lot to try to keep up with news articles. And, and as between podcasts, we send things back and forth. And um, it's increasingly difficult to find news articles that don't, that leave you feeling good. 
but I think everyone yeah, should yeah. should find those. We try to we you know we try to grab some of them and show them to you. But everyone should take those and try to find them and 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 support these people who are who are out there doing science for the betterment of human you know, humanity, right? Like seriously, it's, it's really easy this, to talk that, about. This, people. in my opinion, is the important stuff. By the way, yeah, like yeah, this is the stuff that'll matter you know, in a thousand years, right? Yeah. <clears throat> so uh, talking about not knowing what's going on on this planet. Um, Holy crap! Right, you're on. You're on point with the freaking segues <laughs> tonight, man. <laughs> Darn, did it. There was um, very recently, and, and I'm, I'm looking at the date on this article. What is it? It's January the 19th. Yeah, so it's very recently. Yep. Uh, scientists have mapped the largest coral reef deep in the ocean, um, stretching hundreds of miles, and it's off the United States Atlantic coast. And again, we don't know what's here. Nope. Let me let me ask you a question. I don't. So you read the article, I assume, or yep. did you skim it real quick? Yep, I read it. So, do you remember what the figure was of percentage of the ocean floor oh, on this planet that we've actually mapped? Uh, is it in the article? I don't recall what it was, but it's yeah, not yeah. much. Twenty-five percent. Yeah. Okay, that tracks. Yeah. Twenty-five percent of the ocean floor on this planet, which you know, don't forget everybody that was it like 70, 77% of this planet is covered in ocean, right? So, so 25% of that ocean has been mapped and, and only 50% of the ocean floor off the coast of the United States has been mapped, right? So, so, so let me ask a question. To put that perspective as well. So let me ask a question. Let's, let's bring these stories together. Okay. Okay. I'm going to ask a question that might be dumb. So, the moon. Sure. Do we have a better mapping of the moon than we have of our ocean floors? I'm betting the answer yes. is yes. Yes. They have the entire moon mapped out. They, they, they've already done it. And we only have 50% of the, the waters off of the United States and only 25% yes. of the planet's ocean floors yes. mapped. So, we know yeah. more, well... <clears throat> We have a better mapping of the moon than we have yeah. of our own planet. That is, there, that's amazing. There, there was a time where I actually used to get very, this is the level of, so a little insight to how nerdy I am. Because it used to make me angry. <laughs> are you putting back to, to the, the nerd layers yeah, like yeah. an onion? Yeah, a little like, bit. Uh, one, of, one of the onion layers is coming back here. I used to get <laughs> angry when I would read stories about how much money we were spending exploring space because I mm -hmm, had mm -hmm. read so much about how much of this planet yeah. we still have no idea about. 100%. And that to me just blows my mind, right? So 25% of the entire world's oceans have been mapped. But anyway, off the coast, uh, off the east coast of the United States, it's about 310 miles long from Florida to South Carolina, um, and in places it's 68, 68 miles wide. Wait, what? At a depth of 668 yeah. miles wide? Yes. Okay. At depths of 655 feet all the way down to 3,280 feet. They found a coral reef that we didn't know existed. So, wait, okay, hang on. <laughs> From Florida to South Carolina, 60 mm -hmm. miles wide. 
68 mile in parts. It's 68 miles wide at parts. So like the entire thing is not 68, 68 miles, miles wide, but still. Way. That's that's a Yes. Oh yes. And from Florida to South Carolina. This is a very populated, very traversed yeah. area. Yeah. And oh, yeah. we just now in in 2024 in this economy, right? Like we have discovered <laughs> a coral yeah, reef. A coral reef. Of that size. And we've mapped it. How long before someone destroys and it? And we've mapped it. <laughs> oh, man. So so to, some people might be confused because when they think of coral reef, they think like off the coast of Australia or off the coast of Hawaii right, or, right. you know, these coral reefs are typically pretty close to the surface. You can see them if you go snorkeling. So there's so for those of you that don't know, there's two types of coral reefs out there. Um, there's ones that create energy and live and grow off of photosynthesis, just like plants. And then there's ones that that grow, create energy off of dead matter, um, like almost like an animal, sure, right? Sure. The the things in the ocean that die that fall to the bottom of the ocean, it 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 breaks that down and creates that, turns that into energy, and then grows from that. But but let me say that scale again: three hundred and ten miles long, sixty eight miles wide in certain parts of it. And at depths of 655 feet down to 3,300 feet, basically. And this is coral. This is, you know, huge habitats for sea life, right? And a lot of people don't don't know this, but if you ever look at a topographical map of uh, United States, and I the reason I know this actually is because I was in the Navy. I used to see a lot of navigation maps, and they accurately have a lot of this topography on the water because obviously running into ground is not typically something you want to do when you're on a it's navy not, ship not best practice um yeah yeah not best practice suboptimal if yeah. you will Sub uh, <laughs> um but the the way the land goes you know coming off of the country you hit the shoreline and then it drops down a few feet and then there's actually a shelf mm -hmm. like an Atlantic. I think they call it the Atlantic shelf. It goes out and then suddenly just abruptly drops. And and I, I'm assuming that large portion of drop is what we haven't really mapped much because it's very, very deep. Um, but it blew me away when I first read this because I was thinking to myself, because I didn't know there was two types of coral. I didn't know that coral could convert dead matter like an animal kind of would eat meat um, because I was thinking, well, sunlight's not reaching the bottom of the, you know, 3,300 feet sure, under the water. Sure. So I thought this was really cool, though, the fact that they found this, they've mapped it, they know where it's at, they know how big it is. Like, that to me is amazing. Oh, so. it's, it's fascinating. And... <clears throat> Hopefully, it's out of reach of people who are trying to weekend trip to it, right? Because I swear, oh, man. The, God. I, you know, yeah, you were speaking about I the mean, shelf. I, um, if you've ever seen the Cayman shelf, right? That's my reference point, um, which is similar. And yeah, you if you dive and you go out over it, a lot of people will dive and go down the shelf, right? But if, if you, if, if, if thalassophobia is a thing for you, never, ever, 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 ever witness a shelf underwater. It is one of the most disturbing things because you're like, oh, it's uh, there's sand and that has like in the brain, it has and then a, nothing. It has relic like you can relate to it, and then all of a sudden, it's gone, and in your brain immediately you start seeing, you know, megalodons. You start seeing like, oh my god, it, it <laughs> yeah. really messes with it, right? It actually messes with yeah, it. Yeah. And so the Atlantic Shelf, if I'm not mistaken, is one of the like these this shelf around the country. It's very, very, very deep and cold. Yes, and yeah. like, yeah. 
I guess mapping it. I'm glad they're mapping it. I'm glad we've discovered there's coral reef down there. I'm glad there are things living down there, and they're like, I don't even know what a human is. I don't. I don't even care about your yeah, yeah. right? Like every now and then, a, a ship just kind of crashes on next to them, and yeah, well, they just carry on with life, you know. And you know, a well kind of floats <laughs> down. And they're like, eh, all right, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's food, whatever. Another thousand years of food. Um, so we're good to go. What you know? On a on a side note to all this stuff, it it blows my mind. By the way. That somebody that was going through high school at some point made the decision that they either wanted to be an archaeologist that was going to discover stuff with LIDAR or they were going to be a marine biologist maybe that discovers a coral reef at 3,000 feet under the ocean, right? Oh, yeah. Like, how in how crazy is that? Like, my, my thought process was as far as just joining the Navy, like. You know, like I didn't. Oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah. no delicious of grandeur in this head at all. That's like, actually fair, right? Because there was someone sitting around being like, you know what I want to do is go discover. I want to go see. Yeah. They they made good grades, I bet. They're a lot smarter than I am, I'm, I'm assuming. Well, they're yeah. a lot smarter than any of us about one very specific thing, that's for sure. Oh, yeah, yeah. Very, very much so. Yeah. Using, but, I mean, how cool is that, though, that we're still discovering stuff like this well, I think on that's this what, planet right? that's what we need to not miss in all of this right is there's a lot to be learned if you just look around yeah. um and i you know to me we should support these folks you should find something like this yeah. that you're into and you should support it right and whether you support it by talking about it or educating people about it or giving it money or whatever the thing might be but the people who are out there trying to be builders of things and explorers of things are worth supporting because we sure as heck support yeah. people who aren't doing that. So when you talk about, oh, we discovered a coral reef right off the right off the coast of the United States. goes from Florida up to South Carolina. What? I would, you know, yeah. you would have assumed there's nothing there to be discovered. That doesn't even start covering yeah. the other 75% of the ocean we haven't even looked at yet. Yeah. You know, some of the, one of the things that's most, more, to me, has always been one of the most fascinating things. And I'm going to forget the name of it. But there's a grid on the bottom of the ocean of microphones. And, oh, yeah, yeah. And I forget the name of it. It was eventually handed over, I think, to NORAD or somebody, right? But it was built to know where submarines were moving and listen out for submarines. It was built for. Well, eventually it was handed over, and now there's people who have it, which are scientists, and, you know, they study it. And you will get some of the craziest sounds. If you ever go, if you ever want to go see or go here. Some of the weirdest things in the Sosus. world. Sosus. Say it. Sosus is the name of it. Sound surveillance system. Sosus. And if you have you ever that heard is some the of the grid recordings of from ultra, this? Uh, scary Dude. is the first word that comes to mind Dude. for half of them. <laughs> there, there are some noises being made, and they're always like, "Oh, you know, that was a glacier falling apart." Okay. Oh, that was a whale. Yeah, that sounds like a stuff. freaking monster. That's what that sounded like. Yeah. I don't know, man. Godzilla. I mean, I saw the movies. He's down there somewhere. That's that's why I had said, you know, internally, Deacon and, and Seven and I were always messaging back and forth. And when, when you know, the the submarine implosion had happened, oh, a yeah. lot of oh, yeah. the the social media commentary was, you know, very like how how did they not know and blah blah blah. And I had I had made the off comment. I was like, I hundred I hundred percent assure you that the u.s military had already known that something had happened before anybody admitted publicly that anything happened because 
of that specific system. It was the same thing with the submarine Kursk. Like, I have it on good authority that we knew Kursk blew up well before Russia ever announced that there was a mishap or admitted that there was a mishap oh, yeah. um, because they heard it. You could hear it. Right, so I mean, it's one of the coolest. But anyway, attack, sorry, right? I digress. And microphones on the bottom of the ocean in a grid, so you can tell where things are, and you can triangulate yeah. where sounds are coming from. It's pretty intelligent. Yeah. Uh, and if you ever want to get really, really wigged out, if you uh, you want to have some fun, drink some whiskey, and listen to some stuff that's going to make your brain turn in knots, you should go check out some of the recordings. Or make you not sleep at night. Oh my God. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> just... And again, you know, this is this is I... our planet, and we haven't really explored it. We know very little about this planet. We should talk about the fact that you know, since we're on the subject of this of the Sosis recordings, they there are still sounds that they have recorded oh, yeah. that they have not categorized. They don't know what they are under the ocean. Yeah, if you want to get really um, disturbed, and that's the part that's scary to me. Go listen to those, <laughs> and then be like, yeah, you, be be the me, right? A young seven is like, oh, I bet I can figure it out. I'm just that arrogant, and you go listen, and you're like, I wish I had never ever yeah tried to figure yeah. that out because what and the scientists are like we yeah. don't know what it is what do you mean you don't know what it is you I, I depend on you to tell me what that is i need you to tell me yeah yeah, yeah. oh it's a like shrimp right now right it was a shrimp like eating the microphone no <laughs> something tell me something i will believe anything you say tell me something but they're scientists they're like no we don't know the answer <laughs> oh man yep you, you have any idea when when Sosis was first installed. I don't. I don't. When, like when was, it was, was first built. Let me see if I can guess. The me, first prototype was a night. Okay. Let me see if I can guess. Right, because I, I I know the I know the reason they built it, and I I know generally, mm-hmm. um, how hard it would have. I, I know generally when the technology that would have enabled it to be built was was getting defined. Right, hydrophones have not been a thing for actually that long. Yep. Um waterproof microphones of that sensitivity so i'm going to say 19 the late 50s maybe so the first prototype was in 1954 look at me go look at me go that's not too bad i'm not too far off and and sosis wasn't declassified until 1991 (laughs) i did not know that i did not know that that is fascinating so so the first prototype was 1954 Right, installation probably yep. went through the '60s, right? Like it's it's a big. Job. I'm sure, yeah, yeah. I didn't delve that much that deep into right, it. Right, it's, it's yes. a big job, and they kept yeah. it secret until '91. Forty years. Yeah, you know when the United yeah. States was like, "Oh, we have this thing called Sosis," and they described it. I promise you, the Kremlin. There were two people at the Kremlin who looked across the table and said, "I knew it. I knew they had something. I knew they were listening to us." Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, you know, what's funny is because um, when I was in the Navy, I used to talk to a lot of sonarmen, and a lot of people talked about, uh, you know, how stealthy our subs, and we joke all the time about, you know, down periscope, how, you know, I heard, I heard thirty-five sets dropped on the, you know, whatever, a couple of dimes and a quarter, or whatever, you know what I mean, like, yep. like how the sonarmen are. Um, but during the Cold War, um, the Soviets did not know that we literally could hear all of their subs like they they were incapable of of hiding from us because they were actually behind us in terms of listening capability and didn't know until almost the 90s that like 
the moment a sub dove, we knew exactly where it was. We knew what speed they were going at. We knew, like, exactly what submarine it was, by the way. Like, we actually, our computers could filter the chops so they knew when there was, a, like, the propeller screws had deformities or whatever, like, so they could classify them. Like, all this stuff. And our subs were significantly quieter but they we carried uh, less of a payload and like so there's you know there's there's give and take there but it's interesting to me to look back on a lot of that stuff and how it evolved just in general you know like you look at all this stuff through military tech and now SOSIS is being used for scientific reasons yeah, right but yeah. it's just crazy to me to, to think about well, i mean that you stuff, think about so. SOSIS, right the military being like all right 1991 yeah we have these this grid of microphones all over the ocean floor. yep yeah and yeah. that's public knowledge now not a big deal because they've got something else right that's that's why <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. public knowledge. oh i'm sure yeah 100 percent, 100 percent. oh yeah, yeah you can use this for predict yeah. predicting weather patterns we don't need it anymore we've been using it since 1954 Yep. Oh, have you? Yep. Yeah. Yep. We've been listening to this since 1950. I mean, there's literally satellites that are looking down and looking at naval bases, and they can see the heat plumes, so they know when ships are getting underway. Oh, yeah. the, and these, the like, intelligence, yeah, it's just the intelligence insane. community, like, and the creativity. Um, God, what is there's there's a documentary, and I think it's on Netflix, and it's called Spy Gear or something like that, and it actually goes yep, through yep. a bunch of stories. You know, one of my favorites uh, is Stuxnet, and if you're not familiar with Stuxnet, Stuxnet, in my opinion is one of the greatest moments in computing history. Um, it was easily the greatest hack in history, where the United States military, uh, originally under George W. Bush administration, then it was handed off to the Obama administration. So this spanned multiple administrations. They, they sabotaged Iranian uh, uranium enrichment. I think it was uranium enrichment, but it was nuclear material enrichment facilities because you have to... You have a centrifuge that spins this material at a very yeah, specific yeah. speed for a very specific amount of time for it to work. And what they did was they created a virus that reported out that, yep, the centrifuges were actually spinning at the right speed, but then they would make the centrifuges spin at the wrong speed. And so what was happening was the Iranians were That's just crazy. wasting material <laughs> over and over and over again. And the military intelligence community has this in my opinion, and I'm not talking about just the United States military, but there's so much creativity that comes out of that. So someone says, oh, yeah. oh I want to hear submarines, and there's some lunatic who was like, why don't we put a grid of microphones all over the ocean floor? And what was great was, the idea was there, but what was great was the next person who said, yeah, let's do that. And it actually was funded, and people did it, and people went out on ships, and they yep. drug the cables, and they did all the things they had to do to make this thing work. Oh, it's like, so it's crazy. Unbelievable. It's so crazy. Unbelievable. Yeah. Unbelievable. Okay, so a little bit of a different take. No segue here because I don't know how I would segue that. Um, I don't know how you'd segue this. To and, be honest with you. And I kind of forced this one into the into the into the conversation because I actually want to get your. No, this is good. This is good. But I want to get your opinions on some of these things. Ever since it happened, I've been wanting to get your yeah, opinions yeah. on. So, yeah, yeah. Um, so Nick Dunlap, who is a 20 year old University of Alabama student, or was until recently, um, a University of Alabama student and golfer, one. The uh, American Express tournament on the PGA Tour uh, here a couple of weeks in La Quinta, California. And the interesting thing about that is he's an amateur. And so let me say that again. Well, 20 years old. 20 years old. 20 years old. What I would say is the, the golf channel will say amateur. Right? They say it differently. So I don't know if there's a reason to say it. Yeah, yeah, I'm, yeah. A, I'm a redneck from Alabama. So amateur. It's amateur. <laughs> so um, 
But Nick Dunlap goes out and he wins this tournament. He shot a 29 under, played fantastic, played lights out. 29 under? 29 under. Holy crap. And of course, that's in four rounds, right? But um, I'd be lucky to get 35 over. Oh, I, yeah. Yeah. He, uh, so he goes out and he wins. And here's the, here to me is why I brought it up. It was $1.512 million was the first place prize for this. Okay. Yep. Except he's amateur. He can't collect on it. Yep. Yep. So he wins the tournament, doesn't get the prize, and it goes to the second place. Beswing didn't help, right? Like, it went to the second place winner, and three players who tied for third now get the money as if they tied for second, right? So this amateur goes out there, kicks everyone's ass, plays lights out, wins, and cannot collect. And here's what was interesting. After, you know... He won this tournament. They're like, what are you going to do? He's like, I'm going to go back to Alabama and play golf. He's a sophomore. He's like, I'm going to go back to Alabama and I'm going to go play golf. Now, since then, uh, well, that gives him a tour That gives him a tour exemption like this year and up to like some date next year. He can choose to be on the PGA Tour because sure. he won a tournament. He can just be like, I'm a PGA Tour pro now. He doesn't have to go through the qualifying schools or anything like that. He just gets to be a pro. Uh, but between sure. then and now, he actually made the decision to join the tour. So he is going to leave his amateur status behind. He's leaving the University of Alabama golf team. He's going to go play on the PGA Tour. Good for Nick Dunlap. Happy for him. Yes, yeah. Um, and golf is fleeting, right? So if you're playing the best golf of your life and you're playing well enough to win on the best stage in the world, you need to go ahead it. and take advantage of that. Yeah. So you can come yeah. back to school, I promise, Nick. But what I thought was <laughs> yeah. interesting was the fact that he was unable to collect on $1.5 million dollars. What must that be like? So, so first of all, do you know what what the score was of the next runner-up? Like, how far off was mm. it from him? That's actually I don't a, know. That's actually a good question. Let me see. I can look that up. And then my next question would be, why did he even enter if he knew he couldn't, he couldn't collect? Well, so occasionally... I guess that's a dumb question, right? Because the clout... 100% well, sets you up for well, the and future. He, and he got a tour card out of it, right? Like, so he did. Yeah. He did get a tour card. And amateurs do that. So what you'll find, uh, Gordon Sargent, another amateur who just kind of plays, you know, lights out, is is going to be a big deal. Um, sure. I can't see the score. It wants, to, it wants me to disable my ad blogger. Screw you. How about I close the browser window instead? <laughs> um, I got an idea. No. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, you know, you got Gordon Sargent, you got Nick Dunlap. Some of these amateurs, they go and if they win or if they place really well, they can get an exemption so they can just go onto the PGA Tour and they don't have to go through Q schools. There's like reasons right. to do it. The rarity is that he won and an amateur hasn't won a PGA Tour event since 1991. And the guy who won that, you may know him, his name is Phil Mickelson, right? So like... Never heard of yeah, him. Yeah, right. So, so like, it's very, very, very rare for that to happen. Um, yeah, for sure. But, yeah, I was pretty excited about that. Um, obviously, too, he's an Alabama boy. So is Gordon Sargent, by the way. So I'm just saying Alabama, right, golf, represent. Right? You all know your golf? Is that? Is well, that we get a... to play it year-round. So, hey. And in fact, a buddy of mine is, is a member at the club where Gordon Sargent's a member, and he was out there a couple weeks ago getting his rounds in. You know, so he. I, I tell you what, uh, thinking about this, a little bit more because immediately I, I thought of the money when I originally sure. looked at the article when you posted. I was like, damn it. Like this guy. I don't know if this was the game of his life. Yeah, obviously yep. he's a, a young person, so he probably doesn't have a, 
a whole lot of games, you know, compared to the 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 veterans that have been around. But it's like if so, if he won this, he's already he's got to know he's set up for the future. Like even if he plays sure. for sure six years, even yep. just yep, you know. And if he's placing right, like golf is an interesting sport because you got to make the cut. And meaning you yeah. you go and you play. Th- so the way professional or the way PGA Tour golf works is you go play Thursday, Friday, you have a cut. And so there's a line yeah. in the field where there's a certain number of people who didn't make a score good enough to make the cut. And the cut is the weekend right. tournament. You make right. zero dollars and zero cents if you don't make the cut. So you have to fly right. out. So uh, PGA Tour golfers are independent contractors. They are not members of like the NFL. They don't have a players association the same way. And so right. you pay to fly out, you pay to stay, you pay to practice, you pay your caddy who generally makes 10% of your winnings. You do all, you pay all that out of your pocket. And if you don't make the cut, if you go play Thursday and Friday That's and you it. play like crap, you don't make the cut, you go home and you make $0 and zero cents. And so the guys who win a tournament make 1.5 million. That's, that's, that's crazy. huge. But if you can make the cut consistently and you can play on Saturday and Sunday and you can make the top 35, you you're set right you can you can afford to have a nice life sure um if you're one of these people you know john roms of the world your scotty shufflers these guys who are just top notch right tiger woods back in the day they're not just set for life like they're they're not just having a nice life they are set for generations and yeah yeah so it really is a thing where (laughs) if you're playing at that level and you win and you win at that level it might be time for you to try to Run. You can get your degree later, right? But it, it might be time for you to for be sure. like, okay, yeah. I'm, I'm going to run with this and see what I can do. But also the other thing is the the um, the rigors of that schedule every single week, right? Having to make oh man, you know, Sunday you play the tournament, you finish the tournament. On Monday you take a break, and on Tuesday you're back out at the next club, right? Trying to learn the course, working with your caddy, working out, practicing, whatever. For the following weekend. For the following weekend, right? And so you yeah. play rounds on Tuesday, you play rounds on Wednesday, and then you start playing the tournament on Thursday. And it is rigorous and i've watched it just chew up so many golfers and you know it's interesting if you if you really want to see something interesting i would encourage everyone to go to netflix and watch the documentary called full swing um even if you're not into golf this is actually what got my wife into golf she watches pga tour tournaments every weekend now they are on the television thursday friday saturday Sunday, every single time and it's because she watched full swing and realized these are human beings they are for the most part head cases Right, they have a very <laughs> hard time because a golf swing is a very, very oh, precise yeah. thing. And yeah, you got to be OCD. Oh, like, you got to be perfect. And yeah, yeah, um, yeah, what it can do to you when your swing misses by a millimeter is you're done. Right, it's it's it was really an interesting thing. Uh, so congratulations to Nick Dunlap. I was pretty happy about it. I wanted to get your you know kind of your initial thoughts. So thanks for providing those on like the you know, kind of what went on and, and an amateur wins and it's like, ah, well, here's you some, Look, man, here's you a $50. Not just an amateur. I mean, a he's, a, he's a kid, balls, man. Right? Like, here's, here's some tightless yeah, balls. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, he's a kid. You know what I mean? Like, I, I remember reading an article, though, and the, this is something that I, I wonder if, and, and you would know better because somebody has played golf for years, but, like, I remember my buddy his boy is in baseball like hardcore into baseball and um he had actually had a scout come up to him and say hey we're interested in watching your your boy and possibly scouting him for some college baseball at oregon state university uh-huh. um 
<clears throat> and he said, no, you're not doing that. If he wants to play, he will play, and, and then you guys can look at him then. But right now he's not even thinking about college. He's focusing on whatever. And beyond that, the injuries that come out of the push – for sports when they're that young because by the way your growth plates are still growing yep. and your tendons are still growing and the amount of injuries that have come out of high school and and, and college yeah. sports i mean you're one injury at 19 and you're done you're like you're just done yeah right? it, like, it really is a thing where and these days right are, are different where kids don't grow up the same where they play five different sports in a year Nowadays, right. yeah. kids will specialize into, say, baseball. I think that's a that one seems to be a pretty good one to talk about because people, you know, kids eventually their elbows break down or whatever the case may be. Yeah. <clears throat> and I, I think it is a really sad state of affairs. If I'm just going to be honest, and this is not on, this was not on our list to talk about, but I'm glad we're talking about it. I the way that we treat athletes, treat athletes in the United States of America is a, a bit of a travesty. Um, yeah, we know. So, so sports are about money. Professional sports are about more money, right? That is the whole concept. For sure, yeah. And the people who run that, they don't care about the athletes. They only yep. care about the athletes in as much as the athletes are making them money. And that's the way any business runs. I'm not criticizing those people necessarily for that. But what that turns into in North America, or at least in the United States of America, is we know there's always someone waiting to take your spot. And as a For result, sure. we don't prioritize taking care of the athletes' bodies. You can watch the Aaron Hernandez documentary. You can watch all these things about these guys playing injured. They've had 50 head concussions, right? Look at the NFLs. Right. We don't prioritize taking care of our athletes. That is not the way it is in every country. So Australia is a good example. And I saw an interview with a, an Australian who was making a device that monitors an athlete's workout, right? And they're like... You wear these little sensors, and it can tell you this is a day you shouldn't be going full speed. You're more likely to get injured today because you're, you know, you have your the way your your physiological cycle is working. Thursday is not the day off. you should go full speed, right, or whatever it is. Sure. And they have proven that this like keeps people from being injured. It makes people perform, you know, way further into their lives. All these things. And the guy was being interviewed, and he was like, I, "We don't have the luxury of unlimited amounts of high performing athletes like like the United States yeah. does, right? So we have to take care of the ones we've got." Whereas the United States, we're like, right, well, look at that. His knee fell apart. Get someone else in there. Like, that is insane yep. to me. All right, bye. Have a good weekend. Yeah, it, it is really like, that. And you see kids yeah. now um, with repet repetitive stress injuries, right? So you've got kids who throw, right? Pitchers, let's say, in baseball. Yep. Elbow issues. Elbow goes. But now we've gotten so good at the surgery that you actually, there are kids who want to have the surgery. Because you can throw harder after the surgery because the surgery actually tightens things <laughs> yeah. up. Right, more, yeah, and you yeah, get Tommy yeah. John your first year as a major league pitcher. You finally get there, and right, so it, it's crazy to me um, how we treat athletes and what it takes to be a professional athlete nowadays is is changed significantly. You know, the conversation started about yeah. golf. I think that Tiger Woods is is in a lot of ways responsible for making it about a, a physicality. Right here, you should work out. You should be in shape. There's a very, very famous moment, I'm going to misquote it, where John Daly, who was is famous still for just drinking, you know, after every round or whatever, <laughs> yes. saw Tiger Woods. He drinks beer now because oh. he got cancer and he can't drink liquor anymore. Dude, he just, <laughs> John Daly's a trip. I've gotten to see him play. He is a trip. Yeah. So, yeah. But he yeah. was sitting at a table drinking with a bunch of guys and it was late at night. And Tiger Woods goes walking by. Who was, he's walking back from the gym and John Daly says something about, 
Tiger Woods working out. And Tiger Woods look at, looks over at John Daly and says, well, if I had your level of talent, I'd be drinking too. So yeah, Tiger Woods, yeah. and, and this, is like a, this was like a 21-year-old kid saying this to one of the legends, right? But Tiger Woods in a lot of ways changed the sport and said, this is an athlete sport. You should be an athlete. You should treat your body with respect. Now, unfortunately, he, he did what he did, got in some car wrecks, messed his leg up. But yeah, if yeah, you look yeah. at, have you seen pictures of him lately? Oh, yeah. He is yeah, oh, yeah. jerked. Right, and yeah. so he's, he's gotten back. He's gotten back to it, and he's, he's trying still to playing, stay, right? And he's yeah, he's trying to stay relevant. Yep, trying to stay. And relevant, he can still. Yeah. I mean, and he'll you know he'll be a, a terror on the senior uh, PGA tour. They don't call it the senior; they call it the legends, right? But when they when he gets there and he gets to that age, fifty, right? He's going to be man a terror, right? And so it really is something to be said for good eating, right? Taking care of your body. Tom Brady was is, is infamous for like, how is he Tom Brady? Right. His diet, workout exercise yeah. taking care of his body yeah. not eating processed foods like he, he it took something to be tom brady so yeah, yeah. now you got me off my rant see what you did hey man but nick dunlap it's all right that's what this topic should have did right yeah, yeah. Like, nick dunlap congratulations we're proud of you good on him good seriously on him. though right. good on him so happy here's our routine stuff uh we gotta always go through yeah, this man. this is some of my favorite conversations every single time we do it happa what you watching Okay. Look, let, look. <laughs> I was excited for this because okay. there's been some shows okay. that, well, one specifically that you've suggest, you suggested, and I kind of been eyeballing it, and I was kind of like, I don't know, man. You know, I don't know if I want to watch it. I love Gary Oldman, oh, but I, know what show you're I don't talking know. About. <laughs> And so Rita and I started watching Slow Horses, mm-hmm. and holy shit, you need to watch that show. <laughs> like, if, you, if you're not watching Slow Horses on Apple TV, you need to go watch it, Slow Horses. Yeah. It is the perfect uh, spy drama yeah. show, in my opinion. Like, Gary, hands down. Gary and Gary Oldman, Oldman look. Right. Look. Nice. I'm going to say something very offensive to those of you in the UK, and I sincerely apologize if you're listening <laughs> in the UK, but Gary Oldman's character in Slow Horses is exactly spot on to what I think every British man acts and sounds like. I'm just saying. <laughs> like, His... And I apologize for ahead of time. Look, uh, yeah, I get so it. I probably hate, offended hate, a bunch of people. Hate but... mail goes to half a fodder. <laughs> not seven seven didn't say that half of auto said but i will tell you slow horses i did recommend that to you we so yeah I, I started watching slow horses simply because uh i read a tweet i think and it said something about slow horses being renewed for season four and then the replies to that tweet were so good if it hadn't been renewed we riot like people were very passionate and i was like okay I, it, yeah, had been, it had yeah. been kind of on my list it wasn't it never quite made it to priority one, right? It was two, three, four, five, somewhere yeah, in there. Yeah, yeah. And it would float around, and I never watched it. And I told my wife, I was like, let's sit down and watch this. Let's just watch a couple of episodes so I can get it out of my head. I can know what it is. And from the very first episode, you are in. And then you start to really pick up, and you get it take, It took me three or four episodes before I realized just how good the acting was and how good yeah. Gary Ullman is in this show. It is so so good good so good so yes it's it's a great dramatic spy show like legit um the other thing i'm watching i re- i'm I, i'm actually i rewatched it was foundation um i watched it without rita because you know 
Rita, I love you to death, but you know, a, a bright light occurs in your left, and you're just gone. Like, <laughs> <laughs> and Foundation is one of those. It's a sci-fi show that you really have you to have pay attention to. You to have to watch because, it closely. Yeah, yeah, because it'll be present day, and then it'll be 300 days in the past, and then it'll be 300 days in the future, or 300 years oh, in the yeah. future, 300 yeah, years it, in the past. And it does a lot of bouncing, so you have to be able to follow it. Um, and I'm I'm excited for the next season of Foundation. Yep. I'm waiting for that. Um, I don't know if I've asked you. Have you seen the movie War Machine on Netflix? No. With Brad Pitt? Uh-uh. No, I need to watch that then. So so there's two movies that I, I wish everybody would watch. One of them is um, Vice. It's about Dick Cheney. Yep. During it's on my list. The, it the second Gulf War. Yep. Um, and the other one is War Machine. War Machine is they say it's it's. I did some reading and the character names are all different, but it's based off of General Stanley McChrystal. OK. Who took over yep. in Afghanistan in 2009. Um, you know, for lo- for a lot of people that don't know the history behind it, uh, Afghanistan had a series of generals that took over. Um, there in Afghanistan during our regime changes and their regime changes and each general tried to reinvent the wheel to try to figure out how to fix the insurgency issue um, in uh, Afghanistan and I will tell you that uh, War Machine is a a parody kind of Mm. but it's also not like it's also very real how a lot of the shit went down in Afghanistan from the president to the generals and the generals to the Afghani president and gotcha. how they they went about like their they did a vote at one point in Afghanistan like a free democratic election and the Americans said they needed to do a second vote because they didn't like the results of the first vote and they think that it was you know, so it, I don't know. It's very interesting. It's actually really good to watch. Um, but Brad Pitt, his parody on General McChrystal is hilarious. Okay. How right. he talks, how he walks, how he runs, everything. So <laughs> okay. you need to watch that. Oh, I think you're. I okay. think you're gonna love it. Yeah, I'll definitely. I'll tell you, trust me, you'll know exactly what oh, I'm talking I, about. I'm looking forward it. to checking it out. You know, and, and someone in chat yeah. asked the question: Has Apple TV become what the old Netflix used to be? And here's what I will say: And, and I know, Happy, you're gonna have you are chomping at the bit to respond to that question. Oh yeah, but, oh uh, yeah. And for anyone, by the way, who's listening to the podcast, you can watch us live on YouTube. We do watch chat. We do occasionally respond to things. Um, but what I will say about Apple TV is it's better than Netflix ever was, and. That is quite high praise. Netflix started off, to me, really strong and then got lazy and then got AI and now has gotten lazier. And not only are they lazy, their writing is lazy. They try to pump out formulaic stuff. um, And then they cancel it after two seasons, right? So they don't have to pay the writers. So Netflix... Even regardless of if it's good quality stuff, they cancel. They don't even care. And so Netflix has burned me on so many... Now, Netflix does still have some amazing stuff. I'm not criticizing everything on Netflix. But what I'm going to say next is why I'm saying it. Apple TV doesn't do any of that. Apple TV seems to only make stuff that they are into, that they're geeked out about, that they love, and there's... It's obvious to me when you watch Apple TV shows, there's more passion put into those shows hands down than than anywhere else and if you like science fiction you have yeah to oh get yeah 
Apple TV. Now, I'll let you respond. Happen, let me ask you Look, this man. question. Has Apple TV become what the old Netflix used to be? I wish Apple TV was around when Netflix came out because Netflix wouldn't have had a chance. It would have been close. They wouldn't have had a chance. No. You, well, and to be clear, you got to think about it, too. The amount of money behind Apple already before they even started Apple TV. So they already were a- ahead of the game. But let's look at it this way. I'm going to name shows that you need to see on Apple TV if you don't have Apple Apple TV. By the way, ten fifty a month to me is worth it, right, for Apple TV. Invasion, C, Foundation, Monarch, um, Greyhound the Movie, Slow Horses. What's What What are some of the other shows? Oh, that I'm, some, I know I'm literally You haven't forgetting. even seen Severance. So, like, there's some... I haven't seen Severance. I haven't seen Ted Lasso. I haven't seen, right. like, there's there there's there's so much stuff. I have my, my watch now list. Like, I have to scroll to find the stuff I'm currently watching because there's so much stuff on my list that I'm wanting to watch. Yeah. Like, it's... I would I would beg to say that you can cancel Netflix, you can cancel Disney, you can cancel your Max subscription and still have enough stuff to watch on Apple to keep you busy for months. Like, yeah, Masters of the Air, thank you for bringing that one. Holy crap, I meant to mention that. You need to see that. I do, I do that is that. a show. Yeah, I need to see that. That is a, a phenomenal yeah. show. Um, by the way, I'd like to also mention... I hope we continue to create shows and movies about World War II like this, like Masters There, like Greyhound, like Fury. I know a lot of that stuff is like Hollywood over overdoing it, but it's still, to me, something that I hope we never stop making you know, I, content about. I agree, and I would say that <clears throat> Apple TV is is done an honest effort on some of those. Um, and yeah. I agree because what we're watching happen as a society right now, and we need to talk about this on a different podcast, but what we are watching from a propaganda and misinformation campaign when you have 40-something percent of people between the ages of 19 and 25 saying that they believe the Holocaust was either fake or exaggerated, Yeah, we have got to get better at making people aware of these things in formats that they want to consume, right? They're not reading newspapers. They're not reading books. They're not doing these things. And sure, if you need to elaborate on it a little bit and you need to make a World War II thing and show people this is what World War II was about, the entire world was trying to kill each other, right? This was a big deal. If that happens again, by the way, we're done, right? It's like, yeah, right? yeah. so yeah, making yeah, yeah. movies yeah. about it, taking honest moments. And honestly, there was an innocence <clears> of the world <throat> before World War One. Right, that rolled into all the way through World War II that launched the Cold War, there's a lot of really, really, really interesting stuff um, there. And it, I think it makes people better to understand that segment of our history, just better humans. It does scare me that there is such a huge group of the population that thinks that stuff wasn't real. Yeah, Like that to me scares me. Because, you know, the whole if you don't study the past, you're you're doomed to repeat it is really truthful. I mean, it really is a true thing. Like, you know, oh, Silo. Yes. Thank you for how did we forget? Silo Silo was the best one. That was my gateway show. Like that was the first show I watched on Apple TV. That 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 immediately. Yes. And I was like, I I remember I hooked you on because I was like, 
silo. And that, yeah, I didn't realize, though, that that if, was where you got If hooked. you go back a few a few podcast episodes, like four or five, I think I think you, you had told me you need to watch Silo, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, I, man, you know, I've got, I've got mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, HBO. I've got Disney. I've got Netflix. I've got Amazon. I don't need another stream. I was like, and then one weekend I was flipping through all of them. And I was like, there's literally nothing that I want. All right. You know what? They had a they had a, a a thing I could get Apple TV for five ninety nine. I was like, I'll give it a shot, see what happens. Canceled it, and I spent the next two <laughs> days <laughs> watching yeah. Silo. Yeah. And it was like, all right, well, we're keeping Apple TV. Dude, like, Silo crap. is so good. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah, that's some good stuff. And by the way, like we talked about earlier too, how Netflix will have amazing shows like Marco Polo. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Marco absolutely. Polo to me still was where Netflix just went in the crapper for me because Marco Polo, if you haven't seen Marco it's Polo great. on Netflix, yeah, it's fantastic. Amazing show. And they did two seasons and then just stopped it. Yep. And it's like, like, what did you do, man? Yep. And and Apple has no signs of going. Like they they're doing the new season of Silo, they're doing a new season of Foundation, they're doing a new season of C, they're doing a new like all these shows that are I think right now two or at minimum two seasons yeah. on Apple two to two to four or whatever, you know like holy crap these shows are so good right? Yep, yeah it was oh. it was uh, and Marco Polo is a great example you know because Apple TV yeah. what they're they're doing is interesting too because in some cases I think they are doing what the BBC does and BBC when they make shows they end them they they start off and they're like okay look this is going to have an arc it it's going to take either 3 to 5 seasons right they they know kind of right. but this is the story we're going to tell and when it gets time to end it they end it they don't try to milk it for another 7 seasons to get you know commercial yeah. airtime or whatever like lost yeah. right or, or or some of the other things yeah and yeah. netflix is going completely the opposite direction they just never end it they just after two seasons they're like it's off now and you're like what? and they often end it at cliffhangers just, why not end it why make a movie okay fine yeah make a make a you know hour and a half yeah. movie or yeah. something <laughs> so we know yes. what happened because i want the story to be finished and the story oh, if you don't finish so the story for me i hate you for it right it's like i was yeah, in yeah. i was in and yeah. you you didn't finish the story. And that's why, you know, Game of Thrones, my boy's going to have to finish his books. That needs to happen. Oh, my God. I was so mad. <laughs> I was so I, mad. Because I'm not watching the show. I was, I'm not going to watch. I'm not going to finish watching the show. I watched the first three seasons, and I was like, no, thank you. Marco Polo is legitimately a perfect example because that's a show that I'm like, I've seen it pop up in my feed a few times on Netflix, and I've been like, I want to, why don't I watch this again? And be like, no, because I'm going to get mad at the last episode when I'm like, there should be more. Like, and there's just no reason for me to continue to to try to watch a show or try to watch a show again that I know I'm not going to see the ending to, right? Like, because you just abruptly end. Like, it's just so... And Netflix, it I, there's like six or seven shows on there that are like that. Like, the second season, last episode, left at a cliffhanger, that's it. You never see another, another episode. Yep. Or, or they'll do it... And this is the weird thing I don't understand about Netflix... So Marco Polo again. There's like two or three shows that are spin-offs of Marco right, Polo. Right, right. They those shows were garbage. Like why not just take that money and finish the show? Like I don't understand the thought process behind it. But anyway, I'm sorry. I I went off and well, I, you know, I digressed it's, it's again. Like, it's like any, I know it's crazy, but well, it's like any art to me, right? Art 
turning art into a business is always a risky endeavor. And yeah, having a great business that also supports the art of what people are trying to create is is pretty a right. pretty narrow, you know, cable to walk. It's and and Netflix is just not not doing a good job of it, right? Apple TV seems to be doing a better job. No. You know, Disney Disney can fall on the wrong side of that quite has and has, right? More recently, a lot of cash grabs and, yeah. and just overdoing yeah. stuff. Um, so it's 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 hard to do. It's hard to do, for sure. Yeah, I mean, anyway, moral of the story is: if you have other streaming channels, cancel them and get Apple TV. Apple TV. I am not an Apple advocate. I should also establish that I have always called Apple products the eye craps because I've oh. never been a fan of of being part of the collective, you know, ever. I work, um, I work but on Apple you. TV, I man, worth it. I'm gonna work on. I'm nah, gonna get man. you and read about nah, it. man. I'm I'm gonna get assimilated, chat. Gonna get it. <laughs> anyway, what are you listening to? Oh man. So so it's it's into January. Wait, wait. First, did you did you finish your because you were doing a compilation of last year? Did you finish that? I did. Okay, because that was like seven hundred and some songs. I think you said yeah, right, I'll, like something crazy. Yeah, it's a lot of songs. Holy crap! Um, uh, my favorite albums of twenty twenty three. Um, yeah, I can I can throw you a link. It's on the website. Uh, and I will, so around early November, from early November to the end of January, bands don't release new albums. They they don't release yeah. them going into the holidays because the holiday season, and then you wait until the end of January to start releasing new albums. Well, last week was the first week where bands are kind of starting to put out their albums. And a lot of times they sit on them for six, seven weeks if they were ready. Uh, and so I had a, a new music playlist last week, and I have one that's this week. And I will tell you, now, when we do these podcasts, I will probably be talking about an album that came out recently. There was an album right. that came out Friday, and it's from Dead Poet Society. The name of the album is Fission. I Holy cannot crap. Dead Poet Society. Yes, and I cannot <laughs> get enough of this album. I just, I simply can't get enough of it. And um, it, it has these punk roots, right? But they've done a good job with intermingling yeah. their brand of elect of rock and then electronic. It's just a really interesting mix and the vocal performances are just fantastic so like yeah so i've been listening to dead poet society uh and fission is the album and i i'm loving it and i, I simply can't get it down oh, i'll send it to you if you want <laughs> you know me yeah hell yeah. yeah 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 i'm down i haven't heard anything new from dead poet society in years yeah like yep legit and when you when you have a band like that that you know and you know at some point you enjoyed something of theirs and you see their name come up yeah because i do you know i have several sources i go through and i'm like what's coming out and what's new and you see that name it's almost like you're going to include them regardless but very rarely do you include them and then not in and then end up like oh my god like this is yeah i'm impressed right like this is really cool yeah. um that is kind of the more more rare situation i will say um there is a band uh, that released an album last week that I, it, it's, it's, it's a little hard for me to recommend it to people simply because it, it's going to be hard for people to, to necessarily predict that they like it. But the name of the band is the smile. Right. And okay. um, if you don't know the smile band, um, it's, it's got Tom York, uh, Johnny Greenwood and Tom Skinner. So you're basically talking about Radiohead. Holy crap. Right? And yeah. and if you like Radiohead and you like what Radiohead's about, you should definitely check out The Smile. 
Um, so their new band, okay. their new album came out, and uh, it's called Wall of Eyes. And, and I'm going to get you with this one. You're going to love this one. All right. Static X released a new album on Friday. It's called Project Regeneration Volume 2. If you like industrial electronic rock, Static X actually released an album, and it's not bad. Okay. It's not bad. You should okay, check it out. I'll have to look at that, too. <laughs> Interesting. So yeah, the smile. I was going to mention like to you. Did you did you listen to Blink One Eight Two's last I did. album? I did. One more time, I I I would not be surprised if that song one more time uh, didn't become like the anthem of every service member that was active duty mm. because we all go through this, you know. As you're leaving the service, you always go through this thing where you're like looking back at your friends that you had and all that stuff. And one more time is like a perfect, uh, I don't know, perfect song for that. But it, it, you you mentioning freaking some of these bands that I've listened oh, yeah, to in the yeah. past. That I well, I mean, let me look at. I mean, my you know what what might help. Let me just do this. All right, here are the, here are the albums that I chose for last week. So anyone who's listening, right? So uh, Alkaline Trio, Blood, Hair, and Eyeballs. Dead Poet Society Fission, which I just talked about. Frank Carter and the Rattlesnakes, which if you like punk music, you should check out oh. Frank Carter and the Rattlesnakes. Yeah, yeah. Um, new album called Dark Rainbow came out Friday. A band called Future okay. Islands. If you don't know Future Islands, you should. Uh, it's people who aren't hmm. there anymore as the album. The Ratons, which was new to me. Um, I did not know the Ratons, but uh, Battle of a Bystander, The Smile with Wall of Eyes, and then Static X with Project Regeneration Volume 2. And I threw in a bonus, uh, Ty Seagal with Three Bells. And I kind of threw Ty Seagal in there. I'm not normally, it's a little little low-key for my taste, but I threw in Ty Seagal in there if you like slower stuff, you like uh, a little more chill stuff that's in there too. Okay. So maybe that's what I should do Don't when we do the podcast. Just like run through and be like, hey, here's what I'm actually, here's all the stuff. I can give you a quick review on some of the ones yeah. I loved. Um, Don't miss the Dead Poet Society one though. And and, and it's worth listening to no, it I definitely in album format start to finish because it gets... It starts off in one... So, all right. Anyone who's listening who doesn't know this about me, the reason I love albums is because when you listen to an album start to finish, you can hear the artist's life, right? It takes a long time and a lot of work to make an album. That album's generally 12 songs for an EP, right? So when you listen to it, the artist will inevitably change as a part of the experience of making the album. And you can usually listen and hear those stylistic changes. This album, the Dead Poet Society album, if you listen to it start to finish and you're honest about listening to it, it changes so much between the first song and the last one. And it gets really interesting near the end of the album. They actually go stylistically backwards into a blues rock state, and it's some of the best work that they have ever done. Oh, man. It gets really good, and you can tell, like, oh, this is, this is them getting to a point where I've got a song, but I'm just not going to overdo it. And it, it gets really honest and it kind of gets really raw. And I'm like, I want an album of y'all doing just that. So to me, okay, Dead Poet Society, check it out, start, start to finish. Yeah, yeah, I'm down. I definitely need to go listen to some music now. Oh, yeah. For sure. I can, I can get you excited about a little bit of it. Um, okay. Hell yeah. Kappa. What you playing? This is for, this is really. Can for we talk us, about right? It's, it's us. What do we? Can play we talk with? about what I'm excited to play? I, you can. I would love versus for you to do that. what I am playing. You could do both. Um, first of all, I would like you to acknowledge the personal restraint 
that I, can't I believe have it, had. Have you actually restrained? <laughs> I have not hit the play button. I am so proud on of you. it. I am so proud of you. Uh, suicide, su- suicide squad. I can't even say it. <laughs> suicide squad killed the justice justice league um i bought the ultimate version and i could have hit play this morning i had no idea but i held off i held off yeah so um so listener lovely listener as we stroke your ear holes with these dulcet tones (laughs) i want you to know that hapa deacon rita and i played the the open beta of Suicide Squad killed the Justice League. And it's a co-op game for up to four people. It was yep. really a fantastic experience for us. The characters in the game actually matched our playstyles and personalities like <laughs> very much like, so. surprisingly well. <laughs> and we found the play to be fun and, and chill. And we actually found the story and the writing to be funny and engaging. Yeah. I have seen reviews that say many different things, and yeah. I'm going to ignore every one of them. And on Friday, you and I are going to stream this game together, and we're going to hang out, and we're going to play Hell this yeah. game. Hell yeah. And I will I tell you, I started to, to finally read the reviews. I started reading a lot of responses to the tweets and stuff, and holy crap, I didn't realize how up in arms people are about this game, and yet... Here I am. We played in the beta, and I was like, I wish the game was live right now. I did, I did too. Like, I wish this wasn't beta. I, like, it was fantastic. I did not want to stop playing um, when we were playing it. I very much enjoyed it. Yeah. And there were yeah. some aspects of it that, uh, you know, if if you're into this, you should definitely come watch us stream it. I think there's only about 10 hours of story time. It's a it's a, it's a a live service game. It's not meant to be 100 hours of story. That's not what it's about. Yeah. It's, it's more yeah. of your Diablo-style game where... You do the thing, you grind the thing, you play together, and you get better weapons and equipment and stuff. That's what the game is going to be about. But the story that we got to participate in, there were some key moments in that story that I was like, whoa, I'm really curious about where they're taking some of this stuff because it got pretty pretty outside of what the character norm would be for some of the characters. And I am very much looking forward to playing this game. I don't care if people like it. Um, I also yeah. said the same thing about Cyberpunk 2077 when it came out. One of the, I, yeah, I, yeah. I am on record three days after launch saying this is one of the best games ever made. And people were like, oh, my yeah. God, it's awful. It's the worst game in history. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. CD Projekt Red's the worst company that's ever existed. Oh, my God. And they lost their minds. And now everyone's like, yeah, that's pretty much one of the best games ever created. Yes, it always was. I, I was... I was in agreement that I hated the game on launch, but it wasn't because of the story or or yep. the how beautiful the game was. It was just it was a buggy mess for me yep. when I played it. Not everybody had that same experience. And for me, nothing can ruin an experience early on in a game if it's a buggy mess. Um, well, not even early on. Later on, we've talked about that before too. Games that have been around for a long time that have bugs in them sure. drive me bonkers as well. Sure. But, but yes, so so Suicide... suicide. Why can I not say I that? I don't know. Suicide Squad killed the Justice League. Uh, <laughs> on Friday, we will be streaming that, and I am nope. excited to play that and stream it. And it, to be honest with you, one of the reasons I love it is that it it does, in fact, break the mold of a lot of what people think should be canon. I love I, that. It, I just it, love it. It absolutely stomps on it, and I am excited yeah. to see what they did with it. Um, 
you know, it was made by Rocksteady, who made the the Arkham games, and I think people are. Yep. I think people are are. You know, you see a lot of those comparisons, right? Oh, the Arkham games were so good. The Arkham games were not that long. They were 10, 12, 14 hours of play. They were fantastic games. I agree that they were fantastic games. Um, And I think people are are using a little bit of novelty effect to say it's not Arkham. And that's not okay with me, right? I wanted another Arkham. Yeah, That, that is the problem from what I've seen. Oh, Arkham exists. If you like it, go play it. You can get it on Steam, right? You can download and play it. Yep. If that's what you want to play, go play it. But I'm excited to see yeah. what Rocksteady did here. I am not going to be an early uh, critic. Again, back to Cyberpunk 2077. I agree 100%. The bugs the bugs were really kind of unforgivable, and it shot them in the foot. It, oh, but the game is beautiful. The game's amazing. The so story is, is in, it, oh, it's just yeah. an amazing game. Yeah. So uh, to that end, yeah, I'm excited about, uh, I'm extremely excited about Suicide Squad Kill the Justice League. And we if you want to catch us on Twitch, we'll be on Twitch hanging out Friday. Um, and we'll be playing that game. Next week, the 8th to the 11th, Skull and Bones is going to be an open beta. Oh, yeah, you and Rita I are playing some of that. I am super excited for that as well. some of that. Yep, and I, I'll be streaming that all week. I probably will be almost exclusively streaming... Okay. Um, Skull and Bones. I am super excited for that. I've I have been wanting some kind of sail, the Age of Sail, kind naval of, yeah. something. Yep. Um, and we played the alpha test of that. Was it alpha? Was it considered alpha? I think it was considered alpha. Um, and was blown away, and it looked like a lot of fun. I've heard a lot of people say, "Well, I don't have my expectations high because it's Ubisoft." I have never been let down by Ubisoft, so I don't know uh, where. A lot of that comes from. Um, I enjoyed, you know, like Assassin's Creed, all those games. I love watching the gameplay of those games. They're beautiful. So I don't know, but I'm super excited for that coming out. I am extremely sad that I have to wait till September for Space Marine 2 uh, to come out. Uh, 40K Space Marine 2. You've been looking forward to that for a so, minute. For over a year. You know, we've been talking, dude. I There are some games I'm excited about, and Dune Awakening. Um, oh, God, yes. I am so excited about Dune Awakening. And, and there was another game, and we won't talk about it this podcast. We'll talk about this one in the future that's being developed by some of sure. the folks who left EVE Online. Um, and I'm pretty excited to talk more about that. Oh, yeah. I'm hoping yeah, that yeah. we have some... I'm hoping that we get some cool announcements out of that one. But, um, yeah, I, I am excited about... Uh, Suicide Squad, Kill the Justice League. I'm excited to see what that's about. Excited to stream it with you. And I'm excited to watch you play, uh, was it Skull and Bones? It's going to be fun, man. I potentially will pick that game up, right, depending on how that looks. Uh, The Age of Cell stuff is fascinating to me as well. So, um, so yeah, man. Plus Pirates, hello. Plus Pirates, right? How can you go wrong? (laughs) All right, Happa. So, So. wrap us up. We always end the same way. Yeah, man. Give me some of Happa's rules. Are you okay with me doing 15 this time? Because there's there's only 15 left, so it'd be kind of weird for me to do 10 and then five the next one. I am okay with you. So you're going to get a little bit. It's exciting to hear these. Okay, so for those of you that haven't heard them, I have a list, and it's ever-growing, a list of rules by Hapa. Um, And I'm always adding to these, and right now I've got 75. We've already gone through 60 of them, so we're going to be doing 61 to 75 uh, right now. I encourage you to go back through our past few podcast episodes and uh, 
if anything, listen to them, and then you'll get the other rules. I find them to be amazing rules to live by. I have given them to my quote-unquote kids when I was in the Navy throughout the years, and I've actually had commentary from a few of them later on that said, hey, you know, I've tried to follow this rule or that rule, and it's actually helped me get through this or get through that, which is huge to me. Kind of like a uh, I'm not a parent, but kind of a parent, you know, moment, proud parent thing. Yep. Um, but, yeah. So rule 61, get people out of your life that aren't good for you. Oh. I think this is a problem that a lot of people, <laughs> um, a lot of people, I, I've laughed, by the way, uh, subconsciously to this one towards you specifically because we've, we've had these conversations oh, yeah. before. But um, a lot of people keep people around in their life because they feel they need to, even if they're family. And I know that might be a controversial opinion, but... Um, just because someone's family doesn't mean that they get to treat you like crap and don't get, they don't get to be a drain on your life. Um, and there's absolutely nothing wrong with saying, saying you don't even need to tell them just nah, you're, you're out of my life. Like this is a waste of my energy. Um, 62. And I always used to say this to all of my sailors throughout my entire career. And I'm sure that you've had leaders and managers in the past that have said they've had an open door policy, but I've always said my door is always open. Food and drink is always available and my couch is always comfy. I've always said that to anybody, um, you know, if I have close friends and they're in the neighborhood, I, I've, I have, when I was in San Diego, I've had friends just literally show up at my door and be like, I need a place to crash for a couple days, man. Like, and yeah, man, you know, come on in, you know, uh, 63, I'm always available to those I care about. I mean, that to me is, you know, I just type personality I've always tried to have. Um, it's just the way of life that I try to maintain. If someone, 64, if, you sh if someone shares something with you in confidence... Don't break that confidence, right? Like, don't don't be that person. You know, it's like some sometimes things in confidence get shared. That's a huge level of trust that you're, you know, putting on other people. Don't break that confidence. Sixty five. If you make a promise, don't break it. You know, kind of the word is my bond kind of thing. Um, it, that to me has always been a very important thing. If I try to tell someone I'm going to be there for them or I'm going to do something, I. I better have a damn good excuse to as to why I wasn't able to do that. 66, this is a quote by uh, George Bernard Shaw that I've always loved. It's, life isn't about finding yourself. Life is about creating yourself. I mean, that's... I like that. I think that's also something a lot of people, uh, they may go their entire life and they think they're trying to find who they are, but they don't recognize that you got to kind of, you have to create that for yourself too, right? Like kind of important 67 accept the things you cannot change i mean that's kind of like a you know bible verse level but i mean that's there you can't stress over things you can't control right 68 people have different reasons for the way they live their lives you cannot put everyone's reasons in the same box and that's very true we're all different can't do that um 69 be good do good i mean that's you guys have heard me say it a million times be a better human right 70 always continue your own education if you're not if you're not continuing to educate yourself and i don't mean going to college or whatever but just reading and learning and like you're doing yourself a disservice you should always be trying to educate yourself on various things like that that is very important to your own mental capacity as well 71 uh this is more of a military thing and i sp actually you could apply this as a manager um in in the corporate world too inspect what you expect, I like right? That. I like so, that. Yeah. So, so that was something that was 
put it put on me very early in the Navy. You always inspect what you expect. Um, and the flip side to that is your people should know what your expectations are so they can meet those expectations, right? Um, how else do you know that your people are meeting expectations if you're not inspecting what you expect, right? Uh, 72, laugh, smile, make someone else laugh and smile. And that's a line that I've always said at the end of every single stream that I've ever had. Um, laughs and smiles are infectious and they can really make someone's day if they're having a bad day. So, you know, definitely make someone else laugh and smile also. 73, focus on taking care of you and you and yours first. Um, I think a lot of people that are, are givers or caretakers, a lot of times they don't take care of themselves first. And that's like, you, you don't, you may not be around to take care of other people if you're not there taking care of yourself, right? So it's kind of important. 73, focus on taking care. Oh, I just said that. 74, slow down and enjoy your life. Um, this one really hit me in the face last year when my mom passed away. Didn't realize or recognize how little actual time you have on this planet. Um, so you really have to try to live the best life you can and enjoy the moments, you know, enjoy a sunset or time of friends, time with anybody that you might want in your life. Um, and then this one follows right in line with it. Enjoy a meal with friends. Um, I don't think enough people recognize how big of a deal like sitting down with your friends and just having a meal and chit-chatting and, and BSing and sharing a drink, you know, as they say, you don't, you you know, you only drink whiskey with friends. That's a that's a very country uh, line <laughs> because typically when you have some whiskey, you're you know all those deep thoughts come out. So hopefully you're only drinking friends with whiskey with friends. So and that's happens seventy five rules to live by. So yeah, I love it, love it, man. Those are good. Yeah. That's a good list. So 75 is your list. Maybe we start back at the top. That's, it is right now. Maybe we start back at the top and we actually have conversations about some of these. Examples. We can. I would we love can to break do them that. Down. I would love to, to run through yeah. those and uh, it'd be like, hey, tell me some examples of where that's been applied in your life and some stories. I think that would be a lot of fun. I can promise you that every one of those, I have some anecdotable oh, yeah memory of why it was added i don't think that was a word that i just said but whatever <laughs> i was gonna let that go but no that was is that a anecdotable that one was a stretch look man i'm a history major not a not a english major all right <laughs> but uh yeah look we're almost dead on for two hours I seven i know we almost nailed it almost to our look so if you're out there listening to us on spotify or apple Podcasts or whatever app you're listening to us um and for those of you watching on youtube right now by the way we appreciate you guys we appreciate oh all gosh. the support yes. that you guys give us um i know we're not always on schedule but we also have always said we try to keep to a schedule and this is a project of love this is not necessarily our job uh the day that i win powerball and um can retire seven so that we can do this <laughs> for a living and be as big as, you know, or, as Uncle or Joe. Hapa, or, or <laughs> if everyone listening in every country tells somebody and those people tell somebody and those people tell somebody, oh, that would be then we'll stay on schedule. Right? We get enough that would be enough amazing. people doing this that we're not having to, you know, find ways to buy food, <laughs> which is where we are. Right? <laughs> right? I still got to buy food, but if this bought food. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah living's yeah. important. Yeah, I could absolutely make the schedule work. 
and and that's the thing is you know you guys have re- I've parroted this at this point you know fairly frequently I, I it is important to me that this podcast is a project of love it is not a job and you know ha- the actual job will always and should always override this and and unfortunately seven is a very 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 busy individual um (laughs) unfortunately yes stupid corporate jobs (laughs) um but we're hopefully in theory so what is today today's the 30th so what is that the 12th or something like that yeah the Uh, 15th no no 16th wait 13th am i crazy yeah Oh, I'm looking. I'm I'm completely blind and looking at the wrong month. Okay, no, thirteenth, Fe- February the thirteenth <laughs> should be. <it. laughs> yes, I just commit us to all kinds of stuff. This is, and then it's he's pro- like, "Why are you so busy?" Good that you keep the schedule. Give me four maybe, different like, dates <laughs> to try and make this thing happen. What are you talking about? <laughs> February thirteenth. Hopefully, go. will be the next podcast. There we go. If we don't do it on the Tuesday, we always try to follow it up on the Thursday. Yep. Vice versa. We try to do what we can. So um, definitely, if you're, we are on um, Spotify. You could definitely look us up. Um, at some point, I may migrate our our video to Spotify. Even by the way, if we don't, if we choose not to do it live on YouTube, I don't know. I haven't really figured out exactly how it works just yet. But for those of you that are subscribed to our YouTube channel, I appreciate the, the support you guys uh, give us, guys and gals, all of you all over the world, especially the folks in Jamaica that I'm still waiting on an invite for. Kingston, show out. <laughs> but um, as always, I will say this. Take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. Laugh, smile. Make someone else laugh and smile. Hopefully you all have a great rest of your week. Appreciate you all for hanging out and uh, hope that you guys will hear us and or see us the next time.